want you to open up your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 16. Uh, and while you're turning to Genesis chapter 16, if, if uh, you're able to multitask, uh, I can't talk and turn there at the same time, but you can turn there and listen at the same time. I, I, this morning, I, I, I feel burdened to try to give you a word of encouragement, a word of love, a word of truth, a word of truth when um, maybe the circumstances of maybe your life, family, definitely the, 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 the climate of our culture, the country where we live, the world in which we live, there's a lot of unrest, there's a lot of turmoil, there are multiple wars occurring and, and I wanna give a word of peace and I want to remind us, I'd like this morning to just succinctly bring us back to ground zero and the thing of it is, is that I can't, I actually have nothing to, I have nothing to say to you. I don't have anything to offer you this morning. Um, I want to give you hope and I want to give you encouragement. And the honest truth is that I am flat empty. I have nothing to say to you. And that's actually good news because God's word has a lot to say to us. And as we've gone through uh, in the Burning Heart series, we're going through Genesis to Revelation over a five-year period, and there's been, we just finished Genesis a couple weeks ago, and as we've gone through the Old Testament week by week, there's been multiple stories that have just brought to light so poignantly and powerfully the, <laughs> the sadness of the human condition and what sin has done to us and the decisions that we make to harm one another and the selfishness and um, the solipsism that we live in constantly. Uh, and how that blows back on other people uh, violently. And the Lord time and time and time again takes human malevolence and in his sovereignty and in his grace and in his mercy, he brings about out of it, in a way that only he can, he brings out of it beauty. He takes bones and brings them to life. He takes ashes and he draws beauty out of them. And he sits with the most unlikely of people, unlikely by our standard, the most unlikely of human being the most undeserving of human beings by our standard, the Lord sees them in the fog and in the shrapnel and the debris field. He finds them and he sits with them. And this is one of those stories. So just follow along with me as we, as we read part of Genesis chapter 16, beginning in verse one. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And so Sarai said to Abram, her husband, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. So go unto my servant, that it may be that I have children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai, his wife. And so after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, his wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on Sarai, her mistress. And Sarai began to say to Abram, you know, may, may the wrong that has been done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she began to look on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. And then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and so Hagar fled. But an angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring that is on the way to Shur, 
And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? Let's, let's just bow one, one quick second. Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for this opportunity to come together and celebrate a, a new child in the world, to celebrate your resurrected life, to celebrate as a community, just gathering together around your word to hear from you and to meet with you and to know you in a greater capacity, a greater depth, a, a greater breadth. Lord, we pray by your Holy Spirit that you would communicate, that we would be humble and that you would communicate a word to us, a word that we need to hear. If it's a word of correction, if it's a word of comfort, Lord, make us a people who just wants to hear from you and is willing to follow you wherever you go and to be obedient to your commands because you are trustworthy, you are good. Help us to, to shut out all the other concerns, all the other voices, all the other advice, and, and focus solely on you. Thank you that we can come here to this place, to this physical building, and we can do this together with the scriptures opened before us. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So this story jumped out to me as we were going through it uh, in, the, in the Burning Heart series um, because one of, the th one of the things that's lying right on the surface of this whole story of, of Abram and Sarai, they've been, they've been promised a child, they've been promised uh, heirs that are going to take over, that are going to inherit the land of Canaan in, in the future. Um, and the, if you know the story, you know that it, it doesn't happen quickly and it doesn't happen easily. Uh, and it doesn't happen easily because it's aggravated by human uh, impatience. <laughs> and this, is, this brings us to our story here. Um, the reason why this jumps out at me is because this, this reminds me of one of the greatest lessons really that I think I've ever learned in my life, period, and certainly in my walk with the Lord. And that is to distinguish between what seems to be true or what feels to be true. And that can be informed by anything. That can be informed by your health. That can be informed by your circumstances financially. That can be informed by where you live. Again, I mean, the, the world is at war. Things are uncertain. There's chaos everywhere. And you can look at your circumstances around you that's, at the, that's in the forefront of everything, and you can look at that and draw conclusions as to what is or is not true. The physical circumstances in which you live, is that what is ultimately true? It's easy to believe that, it's easy to, it's visceral. It, 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 it strikes up all sorts of emotions to turn on the news or social media and see what's happening in the world, to see what's happening in our communities. And I'm, I'm not just talking about politically or socially, but also just personally, circumstantially, the things that, that can arise, can inform us about what is true. We need to distinguish from that. We need to distinguish from what seems to be true and what feels to be true to what actually is true. And what actually is true is what God's word says is true. And the Lord has come to a family. In Genesis chapter 12, he called Abram away from his home and he said, I'm going to give you an inheritance. I'm gonna give your, your heirs, I'm gonna give, give you children and those children are going to an inherit a land. Now there's a catch. Your wife can't have biological children. And thus begins the struggle between what, what, what is true? Well, God promised me children. God, prom God made promises. Well, what feels true? Well, I, me and my wife can't have kids. That, that may be biologically true temporarily, 
But are you going to listen to that over the promises of God? And Abram is the father of faith because he didn't consider the deadness of his own body to be uh, something that the Lord God couldn't overcome. And so this, this continues. He's, he's promised, Abram's promised in chapter 12 that there's going to be offspring that are going to inherit the land. And then he's told in chapter 13 that his offspring are going to be more than the dust of the earth. The Lord says to him, look at the dead. They're going to be like the dust of the earth. Without number, without count, there's going to be so many of them. And then in chapter 15, he, he makes a, a similar statement. He says that they will be like the stars in the sky. And he even, he even cuts a new covenant with Abram in chapter 15. Pretty gruesome and dramatic one. If you remember the story, he tells Abram to bring all these animals and to kill them, cut them in half. And then Abram goes to sleep. And the Lord shows up in, this, in the f- form of this smoldering pot. It's very mysterious. And then the, the smoldering pot goes through the pieces of animals. It's, it's kind of gruesome on the surface, but what is being communicated here is Abram, I'm promising you. See, in chapter 15, Abram's starting to have doubts. He says, the only person who's going to be the heir of, of, of my legacy is my servant Eleazar. And the Lord says, no, your child from your own body. Go to sleep. I'm going to make this promise. And what the Lord is saying is, may I be as these animals are if I don't fulfill my promise. And there are so many circumstances that we can get in as human beings where we can look at what's happening immediately and we can forget about the good God who is in control. We can forget about the inheritance that is ours. We can forget about the amazing sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross to save us from death and to save us from this life. Don't forget that. Learn to, distinguish about, learn to distinguish between the lies that the devil whispers in your ear and the truth that God has spoken to you. Just remembering to distinguish between those two can be a life-altering experience. It took my father's death for me to finally realize what the Bible says about death and life everlasting and the salvation that Jesus offers. That's actually true. The cancer, the chemo, my dad being plugged into a wall in the hospital, that was temporary. That was temporary. That was his outer man wasting away, but his inner man being renewed day by day. God's truth is ultimate truth. Abram and Sarah, Sarai, his wife, begin to have doubts. And they begin to doubt, and so they begin to take matters into their own hands. They begin to take control. It says in verse 3 that Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan. Now, he's going he's to wait a lot longer than this. They still haven't had children, and 10 years passes. And you might think, you know, 10 years, yes, yeah, it's not as long as it could be. Well, he will wait longer than that. And at this point in the game, he's, a, a, he's at least 85 years old. So the clock is ticking. And their faith is starting to wane. And so they take control. They take matters into their own hands. They start to think, I'm going to help God out with this plan that he has for us. You ever done that? I know what the Lord said. I know that he means well. But he's awfully busy, I'm sure. I'm just going to help him out. Sarai, Hagar, Abraham. We'll just, make, we'll just do it that way. That's cool, right? So Sarai gives Hagar, their, her Egyptian maidservant, to Abram as a wife to bear children. That was not what the Lord had in mind. And so verse 4, he went into Hagar. He, he, Abram thinks that this is a good idea. 
And Hagar conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong be done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. Just a, just a quick word on this, friends. I think, that, I think that it's a fairly common thing for when you're following the Lord and something's not happening the way that you think that it should be. And, and you know, I don't, I'm not sure. I'm, I haven't lived your guys' life, but I would be a little shook if you received a promise explicitly as Abram had received this promise. I mean, chapter 12, the Lord calls him away from his home and says, go to a land that I will show you. You're gonna have kids. And then in chapter 15, the, the gutting of the animals, the, the pot going through the pieces. I mean, that is, a, that is an unbelievable manifestation. That is, an, that is an out of this world revelation. And yet Abram, remember the father of faith, he's, 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 he's lacking. He's running dry, and he does something that he shouldn't. But they, I, they, it seems as if they, they knew better. As soon as their plan works, and Hagar gets pregnant, Sarah is upset. Because I don't think that she really wanted to do this. And friends, I can't tell you, I could sit here for an hour and a half and tell you all the stupid things that I have done in my life. Because I thought, you know, this isn't really working out. I'm going to help God's hand a little bit and... At the very least, like total relational disintegration between me and other people occurred. And the thing is, is that I knew better. You know, I looked back after the smoke cleared and I, I gave myself one of these. Like I, I knew better than to disobey. I knew better than to not trust the Lord. Friends, be patient with whatever it is that's going on. He loves you. He's with you. He's, he's sitting with you. Look at, look at what happens. This is an amazing story. There's been impatience. There's been sin, there's been wrong moves, and people get caught in the crossfire. So Abram said to Sarai, his wife, verse six, behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. And so Sarai dealt harshly. She mistreated Hagar, so much so that Hagar fled from her. In verse seven, the angel of the Lord found her by, the spring, by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. So, I want to take the second part of verse 7 first. Hagar was an Egyptian. She became a part of the, of the family of promise. And it's a, it's a whole long story that we don't have time to get into, but the point is that this Egyptian woman is with Abram and Sarai, the family of promise that God called out of Ur of the Chaldees to a land that they were gonna be shown. She's with the promised family, and now she is left. She's alone, she's pregnant, and she's in the wilderness, completely vulnerable, on the, on, at a spring on the way to Shur. Sure was the borderland, it was the border wall basically of Egypt. She's going back to Egypt. She's going back to where she thinks she has security. She's going back to where she thinks she has peace and where she thinks that she has safety. She's running away from the family of promise back to a land that's familiar to her, but not where she's meant to be. And I wonder, you know, this reminds me of, of, Lot's, of Lot's wife looking back at Sodom and Gomorrah longingly afraid of the mystery that the Lord was calling her into and wanting once again to return to the land of her gluttony. And I think there's a lesson there for us. It's not my main point this morning, but I, I wonder if that's where you are or if that's where you're tempted to go. If you're looking 
to the memory, at least, of the days when you could just take some drugs, drink the Jack Daniels, have the, the cheap and easy sex, turn out for a while, numb your mind, disappear. If you're on your way back to shore because you think that there there is some sense of safety or there there is some sense of, of peace, that's the devil lying to you. Walking with the Lord is not always easy, but man, it's the right way. It's the only way. And so Hagar has got caught up here, you know? I mean, this is, this is a mess, and she runs away because she's being mistreated, but she's going the wrong direction. And that might be you here this morning, and look, look, at, look at what happens. The angel of the Lord found her there by a spring in the wilderness. Now, this is incredible when you consider this. Okay, so let's just, let's just take a moment to review back up what we've covered so far. Hagar gets pregnant, and it says that she treats Sarai with contempt. She, she treats her contemptibly. Depending on the, on the language of the translation that you have, she looked on Sarai with contempt. And we read over that in our language, and we may not really think anything of it. But what's interesting here is that when you, when you consider the whole story, you consider where, where Hagar is, when you consider who she's with, when you consider the, the totality of what is occurring here, the Lord came to Abram in chapter 12, and he called him away from his father's land, away from his home, go to a land that I will show you. The, those who bless you, I will bless, and those who curse you, I will curse. Those who curse you is, is the Hebrew word kelal. It means to treat contemptibly. It means to despise. And Hagar here in chapter 16 treated Sarai kelal, treated her contemptibly, treated her as despised. She committed what is cursed. So she's cursed, right? Those who curse you, I will curse. She committed that, that deed. She treated the family as despised with contempt and now she's alone in the wilderness, pregnant and vulnerable, no help no resources. She got lucky and she found a, a body of water for some refreshment. That's what, it, that's what it seems like it's happening in the story. And I, and I wanna pause there because that may be where you feel like you are right now. You might, you might be in the middle of feeling mistreated and that's isolating. That makes you feel alone, dejected, rejected to use the language of the text, pregnant and alone and in the wilderness with no help and no resources, out of the family of promise. Does anybody, you don't need a show of hands, but does anybody feel that way? Or have you felt that way? Alone and dejected, having committed whatever it is that is cursed, and now you're taking on the, the dual action. Now, now, what's, now the natural consequence is, is occurring and you feel other. You didn't get the promotion, you didn't get the job. That date didn't work out. This thing fell through. That, you, you did one thing or another and now you're on the outskirts and you feel like, I'm a reject. Is that what it feels like? Or can, can, can you remember to distinguish between what feels true and what is true? Because look, look, at, what, look at what's happening here. There's not, not only, so yes, Hagar is, she's in the wilderness and she's pregnant and she's alone and she doesn't have any resources. Uh, and she, she treated the, the family with contempt. She did, she did that thing. 
and it, it kind of even gets worse than that. And this is, you know, as I was, I was, talking, uh, I was talking with Mel about this a couple days ago, our, our elder Mel, and it, and it kind of dawned on me as I was talking about this, you know, the only reason why this woman's in the Bible, let me back up. Why is this woman in the Bible? Why is this story here? Yes, the Lord wanted this story here. This is God's infallible word, written by God himself. So there's that answer, but why is, this, why is Hagar in the Bible? Because she blew it. This is her story. There's one other mention of her later, in death, and it's, it's, it's also a bit of a, of a tough story, but we're here and now. This is why her story is here. Her story is in the Bible because she got caught up in this sin and that's it. Is that you? There are, there are people, man, I, again, another hour and a half, I could tell you the people whose knowledge of me, the only reason why they know who I am, the only reason why I have any mention in their story at all is because, I was, is because I'm, I'm the bad guy. I showed up and did something harmful or stupid or belligerent, and then I never saw that person again. And they're in the world somewhere and the only time that they ever think of me is because, oh, that was that guy that did that dumb thing. I mean, Hagar is in the story because she got pregnant by Abram and then got an attitude about it. And the Lord came and sat by her in the wilderness. She was not too far gone. She felt rejected. She was rejected. She was alone. She was pregnant, but not by God. Not by our Yahweh, not by our Lord, not by our Father. He came and he, look, the, the language is very clear. He came and he found her. That's not an accident. He didn't stumble upon her. He came looking for her. He came after her. That's what's true of you. And that's really my point. That's all I want to say to you today. The Lord is for you. This is a church full of misfits. This is a church full of people who have burned bridges. This is a church full of people who may not have any place else to go and may even at this very moment be in the middle of some drama. And what I want to say to you this morning is that you're never too far gone. You might be in the wilderness in some way. You might be alone in some way. You might be without resource in some way. Friends, know that you have not escaped the Lord's view. You've not escaped his grasp. You've not escaped his heart. He is for you. He loves you. Jesus, to use the words of Mel, Jesus pulls up a chair next to Hagar and sits with her and says, where are you coming from and where are you going? And you know, not only is, not only is, that, is that true, um, but Jesus is so in pursuit of people who are lost. You know what the great climactic revelation is in the Zacchaeus story in Luke 19? It's in verse 10. The Zacchaeus story, here's a, another man, Zacchaeus, who's rejected, everybody hates him. He's a Jew who's taking money from the Jews and giving it to the Romans and pocketing the rest and he's, he's jacked the interest rates up exponentially, all for his own personal greed and, and personal gain. And Jesus sees him up in the tree and, he's, and of all the people, of all the masses, of all the ones who are, who, are, who are following after Jesus, tugging on his shirt sleeve and trying to snap at him and get his attention, he looks up in the tree at this lonely guy who's scampered up there because, you know, he's like, I don't know how he's, the Bible says he's short. 
He can't see, so he crawls up into a tree, and Jesus stops, and he sees that guy and says, I want to have, have dinner with you today. And Zacchaeus gets saved. The Lord says, Jesus himself says that salvation has come to this home today, the home of Zacchaeus. And the, la- the verse 10 of that story is it, the, Jesus says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So if you're feeling dejected and out of place, you're Jesus' people. He loves you. And he came, in so, he came to pursue you so hard that he was rejected. He was dejected. He was pushed out. He was misunderstood. He was lied about. Listen to what was written of Jesus approximately 700 years before the incarnation, 700 years before God became flesh. This is Isaiah chapter 53. Listen to this. This is a prophecy about Jesus. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground, for he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and he was rejected by men. You know, in John chapter 1, the opening prologue of the gospel, John writes that Jesus came to his own people and his own people did not receive him. They were in his house in more ways than we can understand. Jesus is responsible for holding the atoms together that make up your very physical body. And his own Jewish kindred rejected him. A man of sorrows, can relate to that. Is that you? Jesus feels you. He pulls up a chair in the desert and he sits by you. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. (laughs) One from whom men hid their faces. That is a, have you ever experienced that? That's a hard thing to experience. Jesus experienced that. The God of the universe lived through that. He felt that. There isn't a person that ever understood Jesus the day in his life. Even his, even his family thought he was insane. His brothers didn't believe in him. His disciples were constantly bickering and fighting. They thought that he was going to overthrow the Romans. Judah, Judas sold him for 30 pieces of silver because his political campaign didn't take off. And Judas thought, well, I might as well ditch this loser and get paid on the way out. He was rejected. He was despised. Men hid their faces from him. He was betrayed by a friend. Surely he has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows, and yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Why did Jesus do this? And I'll close with this. This is a simple, quick word. Why did Jesus do this? He was esteemed not, he was despised, he was rejected, he was misunderstood his entire life. He never fit in anywhere. He did this so that he could have you. His pursuit of you is so intense. For God so loved the world, he sent his only son so that whosoever will believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And when he was sent, 
He was despised, rejected, a man of sorrows, well acquainted with grief. He was beaten, he was betrayed, he was mutilated, he was murdered, and he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven so that he could take you with him. So that your sins could be forgiven, he took that punishment upon himself. He did this, he comes and he meets you in the desert. You might, you might feel rejected. You might have messed up. You might have done something like Hagar. Friends, there is forgiveness in the name of Jesus Christ. He did this so that he could have you. Hebrews tells us that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What do you give God? What could God possibly not just give himself? What do you give a guy who has everything? The one thing that the Lord didn't have was you. And we can't make it to him on our own effort, by our own works, by our own discipline. So Jesus, he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. He came and he sat with us in the desert so that, he could, so that we could go sit with him in the heavenlies. Ephesians chapter two says it like this. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Seated us with him in the heavenly places. Centuries after Hagar was found by the Lord intentionally in the wilderness, Jesus came to earth and he went into what would at that time be enemy territory. He went into the land of Samaria and he sat by another, another water source next to another woman who was rejected and despised and an outcast. And it's, it's so fascinating that a woman who was outcast by a society, God came to the well, met her there, and asked her for a favor. <laughs> he asked her for a drink of water. And then he said to her, by the way, I'm the Messiah, and I know everything about you. And I will give you water that will well up into you as a spring of everlasting life. And you, remember, you know what she did? Remember what she did? John chapter 4, the woman at the well, she ran into town and she told everybody that she knew. Friends, whatever your circumstances, whatever it is that's going on, you have a home here. Wherever else you may feel rejected, wherever else you may feel out of place, this is a place for out of place people. I'm here. I mean, my goodness. I'm an orphan. My own parents didn't want me. You know? That, that weighs on a kid over the course of his life. The Lord wants you. God in heaven wants you. He went through hell to get to you, to pull up a chair beside you in the desert and say, come and sit with me in the heavenlies. Now go and tell everybody else. His grace is new every morning. There is, there is forgiveness, there is life in no other name but the name of Jesus Christ. He's that good and he's that powerful and he loves you. He does not reject you. Cursed be the one who curses you. Hagar did that and the Lord went and he found her and he brought her back home. And he welcomes you home in the name of Jesus. Amen.